CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Executive Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, it's another sad week in the real-life soap universe. Um, Andrea Evans, who appeared in multiple soaps, but most memorably, I would argue, as One Lent to Live's Tina, passed away at the age of 66 after a battle with breast cancer. So, I mean, it definitely came as a shock, not only to us, I feel, but the soap community as a whole. I mean, she was just way too young. Andrea's mother had battled breast cancer as well, so she served as a celebrity ambassador for many years as City of Hope's Walk for Hope to Cure Breast Cancer. You know, remarkably, after she was diagnosed herself with it in 2011, Andrea completed chemotherapy while appearing simultaneously as Tawny on Bold and Beautiful and Tina on One Life to Live, which is just so impressive. I mean, I started at the magazine in 1990, you know, just around the time when Andrea retreated from the public eye because she was being stalked and was in danger. And, you know, that's in real life, mind you. So until she came back to daytime in 1999, most of my memories were of her in Landview. And it's just such a big loss. And I know you join me in sending condolences to her family and friends. Oh, I absolutely do. You know, I think Andrea served up some of the most iconic moments in One Life to Live history from going over the falls in Argentina to busting into Cord and Kate's wedding with a baby in her arms, claiming it was Cord's. In point of fact, it was actually little Al Holden, Max and Gabrielle's son. Um, So as you just mentioned, you know, she was forced to step away from One Life in 1990 because she had a stalker and a very dangerous one at bat. And the stalker laws that were on the books at the time essentially made it such that the authorities could not intervene unless this man did actual physical harm to her. So she did live in a lot of fear. And she made the decision to leave the show after the actress, Rebecca Schaefer, who she had known because Rebecca had done a few months of work on One Life to Live, was killed by her stalker. So I always admired Andrea for her bravery in the face of such a traumatic and frightening ordeal. And I was so glad that she had this, this second chapter of her soap career in the late 90s and early aughts as Tawny. And then her long run is Rebecca Hotchkiss on Passions. And of course, it was so fun to see her reprise Tina uh, toward the end of One Life's Run. It's a heartbreaking loss. And sadly, we also lost the actor Jeffrey Carlson, who all my children fans will remember for playing Sarf, the outrageous rocker who came out to Bianca as transgender and in 2007 began hormone therapy in order to live as her true self, Zoe. You know, Jeffrey was like just the perfect actor for that role and played Zoe so soulfully and uh, I think touched a lot of hearts with his work. He was only 48 and we send our thoughts and love to his loved ones as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, I feel saying these words aloud is crazy, but Lorley Bell is marking 40 years of playing Young and Restless as Christine. Now, I was in high school, as was she, when I started watching YNR, and I said this back when the 50th anniversary special issue came out, but I was so drawn to Cricket's storyline. You know, she was a model and had cute boyfriends, and it just seemed like the perfect summer story for teens. And I know after you and I had her as a guest on this podcast, we spent a good chunk of time talking about how funny and cool and normal she was, you know, which really speaks to how she was raised by her parents, William J. Bell and Lee Philip Bell, who co-created both YNR and Bold and Beautiful. You know, our colleague Devin Owens interviewed her for a feature in the new issue, and she looks back on her early years and the evolution of Cricket to Christine and just so much more. Um, It's really a great read, and we wish Laura Lee a very happy anniversary. We sure do. And we also send 
big happy anniversary energy out to Greg Rickert, who plays YNR's Kevin and Daisy's Leo. He is marking the 20th anniversary of his Genoa City debut. So in the new issue, we toast to that milestone with an article featuring well wishes from the many, 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 many co-stars on both of those shows who clearly adore Greg. It put a, a real smile on my face to read through their accolades and messages for Greg. And that new issue that I just mentioned is also chock full of very juicy story preview of the week ahead, including what looks to be the final nail in the coffin of the Liam Hope marriage on B&B and the fun and exciting conclusion of Walt Willie's three episode arc on GH as his all my children alter ego Jackson Montgomery. Well, speaking of Walt Willie, he is our guest today. So let's get him on the line and hear all about his daytime return. Hi, Walt. Hello, hello. How you doing? I'm just swell. How are you? We're great and could not be happier about speaking to you today. You're very kind to have me on. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Such big news. Uh, <laughs> yes. so, and it's safe to say that you did not come from a showbiz family. But in addition to what we all know are your gifts as an on-camera artist and entertainer, you are an accomplished fine artist as well and, in fact, majored in fine arts in college. So how old were you when you first discovered that you had that kind of gift and wasn't encouraged by your family? I had great parents. My, you know, they waited 13 years to have me, to have me. So I was like, forget about it. I can do no wrong. And <laughs> I was a genii and all this stuff. And so they, uh, they were very supportive of, of, of the art. And it's really what I thought I would do. I always did. And then damn theater, damn theater um wove its spell on me and 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 i walked away from it but you know it's interesting i i don't consider myself a fine artist at all because i really i'm not trying to say anything i'm i would consider myself and and i'm not trying to be falsely modest here but i would consider myself like a hack illustrator i'm just learning the business i'm but i love to do it i mean i'm up at 5 a.m i paint till about noon or so and then i go for a walk and then I have my first nap of many uh that day and uh and it's 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 what a great therapy what a great therapy yeah uh okay so the story goes that you moved to new york at the age of 30 to take a stab at an acting career there but what were you doing in the years between graduating from college and deciding to make that big move to the big city gosh i got married very young i got married for the first time at 20. And I did a variety of jobs. I sold men's clothes. I worked at a radio shack. I was a, a DJ in a in a discotheque. Um, I did I did a bunch of stuff. Uh, the job I had before I moved to New York, I was selling men's clothes, and I got this customer. He was looking for like a tie and some socks, and I ended up selling like eight hundred dollars worth of clothes, <laughs> which was a lot in those days. And he said, you know, we've had a position open up where I work and you might want to go. You're a pretty good salesman. You might want to tie. And so I got hired as director of sales administration for your manufacturing company that made gas grills and swing sets. And that's what I did for several years. And I knew nothing about it. Learned the business as I went along and, you know, went to all the shows, the houseware show and the hardware show and all this stuff, sporting good shows. And I mean, it was, a, you know, nothing I had ever wanted to do or trained for or had any really inkling of. And then I got a call from uh, a kid who had been a student in college when I had been, who was now, this is how many years had passed, who was now a tenured teacher at the university there. And he said, listen, this summer for summer company, we're doing the passion of Dracula. We can't find anybody to play Dracula. Would you consider reading for them? I haven't done anything like that. You know, I'd done a few in college, just as kind of a lark. And I hadn't done anything since, you know, would, would you read? Sure. Okay. So I ended up being cast as Dracula and I did that show and I did for the next year. And then the summer company afterwards, and I mean, the people in the theater department hated me. So I was, <laughs> I was getting cast on all the leads and they were like, oh, really? Who is this guy? So, so, oh, I feel bad about it still. You know, they give me the, that, that, that evil eye. And then um, I decided I was, I was uh, you know, I was getting to be that age. And I thought, well, I don't want to turn 40 and wonder what if, you know, what if that's such a horrible slippery slope to try to glide through what if i had and so i did 
And, uh, you know, probably the stupidest decision I ever made had it not turned out so well. But I had a great job. I'd just gotten like a 30% bonus. I, I mean, pay raise because I found Sears was cheating us. And, and I was doing pretty well. But I just didn't want to turn 40 and wonder, you know, as I'm now the VP of sales at some manufacturing company and miserable if I, you know, if I could have. So decided to, you know. Well, once you got to New York, how'd you go about breaking into the business? <laughs> just, just as bass backwards as you, as you possibly could. I, uh, I got a job, luckily my first job, I lived in Queens, I lived in Elmhurst when I first got there. And my first job was with Golden Pen or Golden Lip Long, you might not know them by. They, uh, they sell theater tickets, they, they resell theater tickets in the booths in like the Hilton and in the, uh, oh gosh, they're, they're all the, the St. Regis. Um, I've worked both those hotels. So, so I got to see so many Broadway shows for free, you know? And so that was part of my continued training was watching, you know, uh, cause I came out there to do theater, you know, of course. And, uh, um, I got the, the way I started in, I, I would rip things out of backstage and go on the auditions and, you know, maybe get a couple. I did a couple of uh, showcases and Betty Ray found me and liked me and started to work me, you know, cops and this and that, you know, and um, and then I, I picked up a Ross report. <clears throat> Pardon me, uh, because I didn't know what I was doing, you know, really. And and I started, oh, look at all that. Once I worked on guiding line. I thought, well, these soap operas, you know, here's a way to make a little extra money. <laughs> so, so I, I see Suzanne Ringrose, all my children. And here's a, there's a phone number, 212-456. And I don't even see where it says, don't phone or come in bold, all caps. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm green as grass. I, I'm green. I didn't know what a headshot was, nothing. So I call her and I guess when you have a name like Walt Willie, people hear Walter Mitty or Walt Disney and then, you know, it sounds familiar, but not. So she said, yeah, come on in. I'd love to meet you. So great. I'll see you. Went in there. She gave me two days work the following week. Let's see. I was, I was, um, Adam's jet pilot. I was Palmer's limo driver. I was the maitre d' at the Chateau. I was John the yard man on a remote. I can't remember what the story was. I put Greg in the back of the ambulance when he fell and broke his neck. I was serving. I was you know, a liveried servant in the remote where Jeremy's father fell off the horse and broke his neck and got killed. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm sure I'm forgetting my two thirds of them, you know. I, I'm going to throw, throw one more in because I love okay. it. You rented Chuck and, and Donna their skis before they had that that accident there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I was Swiss for that one. Wherever they were supposed to be. I was Swiss. Uh, (laughs) Horrible. And I I hope nobody ever finds it in the, uh, in the. The dredges of YouTube. Um, So, okay. I'm curious to know when you were on set doing these small kinds of roles, who stood out to you among the actors as the kind of actor that acknowledged and maybe was even kind, maybe was even welcoming to the little people, the recurring players? You know, Louis Edmonds, uh, I, I, I roomed with him you know, because there were not near enough dressing rooms and they were not near big enough. And so, but everybody was doubled up. And I shared a dressing room with him a few times. And he was, when I, I, I read for something that, that, I'm trying to remember. It was one of the maybe Jeff Martin. I read for that and did and and uh, and was called back for a screen test. And I remember sitting out there waiting, and here came Louis running on on said, "Oh dear boy, we all hope you make it. We'd love to have you here." You know, and it was just so nice. But everybody, everybody was welcoming, and and I gotta say that. So I don't forget to later, that was true when I went to General Hospital. I have never felt more welcomed. I've never felt more taken care of, looked after. And people seemed to be, you know, genuinely excited that I was there, which is, you know, when you just got out of the mothballs after 12 years, was not a bad way to feel, you know. And so I would, it was, it was really, and that's the way I always felt at children. Children was always my home court. I mean, I worked in another world in Ryan's Hope and Guiding Light and As the World Turns and even uh, Search for Tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, it, all my children was always my, 
my home court. Plus, I was the manager of the Ginger Man restaurant, which was right on 64th and Broadway, if I recall. And so ABC headquarters was like two blocks away and all my children were like a block and a half away and, and uh, one life to live around the corner. So I got to, I got to see a lot of these people a lot of the time. So it was nice. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, Adam and Palmer were, of course, two of the show's greatest rivals and individually wonderful characters. Now, sadly, both of their portrayers are no longer with us. But yeah. what comes to mind when you think about David Canary, who played Adam and Stewart, and James Mitchell, who played Palmer? One of my first days on the show, uh, my scenes were with Adam. Uh, and I don't even recall why, but but they were. And I had been around and I'd seen him and I was always quite impressed with him, his, just his presence. And he was so literally rooted to the place. And, uh, you know, I mean, you couldn't have moved him if you wanted to, and he was intense. And then he turned around and do Stuart. You were like, oh, he's the sweetest guy in the world. You know, and so that to me was just, that was a masterclass right there to watch the Adam Stewart thing. But I remember, ding dong, and I'm standing, on one side of the door, he opens the door, and all I could hear was dum da da dum da da dum da da dum da da dum da dum da Because we watch that every Sunday in our house, you know, him in that little black hat uh, with his coal black hair. And uh, but he, uh, uh, James uh, Mitchell was, um, I mean, to 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 work with James Mitchell and Eileen Hurley and Ruth Warwick and and Louis Edmonds. And these people who were, I mean, Ruth Wark was Hollywood royalty. She was Mrs. Citizen Kane, for God's sake, you know. And I just think that that those were the people that intrigued me. And those were the people that I watched, you know. Um, I, you know, I watched the younger people, too. Uh, you know, because, you know, Michael Knight was tearing it up at that point. So I definitely watched him. He was tearing it up. So, uh but it was, it was, uh, I mean, that's where I learned the three camera setup. That's where I learned it, you know, was being paid to eat hamburgers or, or to serve them occasionally. <laughs> um, all right. Well, in 1986, as you noted, you were tapped by another world to play the role of Cecile Depolniak's henchman, Jim LaRusso, where you got to work with Nancy Frangian, who played Cecile, and Stephen Schnetzer, who played Cass, and Ving Rames, who, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. And if, am I remembering correctly that you got to go on, like, it wasn't a long gig, but you got to go to the Virgin Islands? We were there for quite a few days. Yeah, St. Yeah. Thomas. I, I, I'd done like two days or so in studio, and there was pack up for a remote in St. Thomas. I like this daytime thing under contract. <laughs> this is fun. And we get down there, and I was a cert, I am, have been for a million years, 50 years, I guess, a certified scuba diver. And uh, so uh, Ving and I were supposed to do some scuba diving down there in the island. And I get down there and I, I had had some back trouble. Uh, and all of a sudden I get this, like somebody speared me in my back and my left leg started to shudder. And pardon me for saying this, my projectile vomited. I mean, it was like, it was a neurological event. And I mean, and my wife, she played the, um, oh, what was Ellen Wheeler's uh, character's name? Marley or Vicky? Marley and Vicky, yes. And she, she played the double. So I think she came along with, if I recall. But I was in trouble. And I mean, I hadn't shot moment one. This was like the first night we were there. Maybe you sit on the plane and kind of throw my sacroiliac out or something. But... Uh, so I had to go to an island doctor and, oh, no worries, man. You know, he handed me, I don't know how many Percocet or something. And so, but my left foot is totally dropped. I have no strength in my left leg at all. So I go out with John White, so the director, we're on the boat, I'm tanked up, I've checked my equipment, everything's good. And and so we're getting ready to go out. And I, and, and I told the AD, I said, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, you know, real, he said, he looked at Ving and said, Ving, well, you ready to suit up and do this? And Ving said, do I look like I swim? <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of that. So here's poor Walt with no left leg. 
I'm swimming, Weitzel's yelling at me. I'm underwater, so I can, can't hardly hear him. I've got no radio or thing, so I can, you know. And I'm swimming in circles because I have no power in my left leg. He said, no, just swim over there. His feet are getting sunburned. He's so mad with me. Anyway, so that, yeah, that was my first, <laughs> my first couple of weeks at Another World. Amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, later that same year, you were tapped to take over the role of Joe Novak on Ryan's Hope. So tell us how that came about. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't recall ever trying out. I, I guess I had to audition for it. I don't honestly recall that. I, I don't know. I, th- I mean, good and God knows they had plenty of tape on me by that time. Um, I guess I must have read for it though, certainly, but I don't remember testing. Uh, I got a call from Joe Hardy, you know, to come play. And I did for about six months. And then, as I recall, uh, Daniel Pilon, who played Max Dubuzak, my mortal enemy, evidently, uh, decided to retire and go back to Canada and fly his plane. Uh, and I don't know that they were, that, the, Siobhan was a recast from Mark Helgenberger. And I'm not, and I, as I recall, they weren't quite positive that they'd gotten it right then. Nothing wrong with her, but they, they weren't going to go. So anyway, they stopped the whole storyline and, you know, my, I was well into my second 13 weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> and Joe called me in and said, you know, I'm so sorry. You're, you're, you're wonderful. I'm so sorry. You'll be fine. Trust me on this. This is a good thing that we're letting you go on this. So I think there may have been something, because it wasn't six months later that children, I think. I'm real bad with time. I'm real, real bad with time. But it wasn't long after that they, that, so there may have been something afoot then. I don't know. You know, but well, uh, one thing we know is that you did not audition for the role of Jackson Montgomery. No, yeah, no, so tell no. Us that story. I, I, I don't know that anybody did. I, 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 maybe they did. I think they may have used my my tape from uh, when I uh, did the screen test for Jeff Martin, maybe uh, who they called somebody else in the in the in the in, in the sides, as I recall. So you didn't even know who you were trying to play um so uh yeah it, it was i was um uh i was in the waiting room of an audition for a, a show called our group which was about a psychiatric therapy group uh, i was on I, I can't remember when what it was on now uh but it was on it, it was on something that abc owned uh that i do recall anyway so i'm sitting there i figured i'd take the opportunity to check in with my agent see if anything was going on see if you're doing anything besides just just catching <laughs> she used to throw too you know and i and i called her and i said hey honey her name was honey raider and i said hey honey she said well hello jackson montgomery now i have a pretty distinctive voice and i thought gee you know uh no honey it's walt no you're jackson montgomery I have no idea what you're talking about. Just, just got a call from Joan Dancheco. They want you to start in eight weeks, and you're going to be playing Travis Montgomery. I knew who Travis Montgomery was, of course. You know, you're going to be playing Travis Montgomery's brother, Jackson. I said, oh, man, we look so much alike. Perfect. Um, so that is that. So I went into this audition. I didn't care at all about this audition, you know. And so I got it, naturally, because I didn't care at all. And I got it, and, and I was playing, uh, uh, the character's name was Kent, and he was a Republican, a speechwriter for a Republican senator who was secretly gay. I mean, this was this was some therapy group, and he was maybe the most normal person in this group, as I recall. <laughs> and there was a real psychiatrist, may have even created this show, but she was the, she was the, the you know, the lead. It was not so good. It was not so good, but it was a three-camera setup. I did... I came in late to the season. I think I came in like on the fourth show and did probably eight or 10 of these things. Yes, I'm gay. <laughs> Finally. And, uh, and then I had a couple of weeks off and I was starting children. So it was, it was, it was perfect. I'm, I've been very fortunate. I'm hesitant to say blessed or miracles occurred or angels over me, but I've been very fortunate that uh you know the way things have timed out sometimes mm-hmm. very well jack started out which i'm very grateful okay yeah. there we go okay, there that's you a go. full statement <laughs> yes. okay well jack started out as a, a bad guy 
you know, one who was yes. never slated to be romantically involved with Erica Kane. And he, he evolved into a good guy who was nothing if not romantically involved with Erica Kane. So <laughs> what stands out to you Very about good. like the early days of playing Jackson? And when did you notice that the show was starting to, you know, evolve him away from that sort of dark hat persona that he was introduced with? I don't know that I, that I ever noticed it. The first several years on that show, <laughs> I was just trying to run to keep up with these, with these people. Um, I guess, yeah, I was trying to, like, I, I was taking pack money from Adam and pack money from, from uh, Palmer and putting it in Travis's thing to ruin his Senate bid and, and yeah, just terrible person. And we found out, I guess, a few years later why, but, uh, but uh, I think it was the when, and I think Megan McTavish was the head writer at that time, wrote the scene where Travis is somewhere and Erica needs to get to him and Jack is a pilot. Of course. Well, of course, Jack's a pilot. <laughs> so I take Erica and we go flying to wherever, wherever Travis was. I don't recall. And the plane goes down because Jack's not a great pilot. <laughs> Relatively safely. And, uh, and we have this adventure, you know, which was essentially it, it happened one night update, you know, up, updated, I should say. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And, and from what I understand, they looked at it and said, well, this is interesting. The chemistry these two have, this is interesting, huh? And I guess they said, well, let's see what happens. I know, I know, I know Larkin, God bless his soul, wasn't very happy with the whole thing. I, what have you been here, three weeks? You know, so, no, but we were, Larkin and I were best friends. We went on vacations together and, and everything else. But he, he gave, what are you here, three weeks? You're rolling around with her? <laughs> it was a little longer than three weeks, but it was she I was rolling around with. So. Um, okay, so who did you share dressing rooms with at All My Children over the years? Larkin Malloy. Oh, Larkin, okay. Larkin, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, across time. I mean, when I was coming in and doing day player stuff, they might stick me with anybody, you know, but Louis Edmonds, but he may have requested me. Um, uh, and, and I love me. He told such great stories, such great stories. So wonderful. Um, I, I, I think that was kind of my permanent roommate. Uh, I don't, we didn't switch off. You were assigned, you know, they put two people in the bunk and that was it. <laughs> so you didn't float around much. Well, you told me a story probably 20 uh, years ago I may uh, about visiting Louis Edmonds in Martha's Vineyard that I've never forgotten. Do you know what I'm referring to? His gardening skills, if you will. <laughs> yes, but I didn't. I didn't visit him oh, uh, there. Uh, I was sharing a dressing room with okay, him. Okay, he just told you about it. Yeah. Well, here's the story. Yes. He said, <laughs> "Tammy, dear boy, do you smoke marijuana?" And I said, uh, "Yes, I do, Louis." And he said, "Well, here, smoke this, but be sitting when you do it." <laughs> I said, oh, "Okay." You know, says it. I want you to know I grew this myself in Mother's Vineyard. And great, thanks, Louis. This is great. And let me tell you what: some of the strongest marijuana I've ever smoked <laughs> in my life. Uh, so that's that's the story. I guess I can tell that. I don't know. Well, so then, in addition to being a great dressing roommate, he was also a terrific gardener. Yeah, exactly. um, yes. Special skills. Listen, if you can get a drug dealer as as a, as a dressing roommate, you're in business. All right. In those days, <laughs> it's all good. Um, now, when the show began flirting with the Jack-Erica relationship, and uh, it was in 1989 when they began their affair, I believe, uh, were you at all intimidated to work with Ms. Susan Lucci? Of course. You know, actually, probably, I probably didn't have sense enough to be intimidated. <laughs> I mean, because this had been a wild ride. I start, see, I thought I started Another World in 85, but it's a better story if I don't start that until 86, because... It was a pretty big whirlwind. I mean, it was a pretty big from doing extra. Oh, I got three days on a party scene, you know, to and you start next week, you know. And and so, I, you know, Susan is, first of all, she's a professional. She wants it all to work because if it works, then we've done our job properly. Um, I think I made her laugh and um I think she liked that. I think I was probably so nervous 
And that's my default is to, oh, I'll be a goof, you know. <laughs> and and uh, when I get nervous, so, and that may have, because people are often, I think, in, you know, and rightfully so, uh, uh, in awe of her. And, and, uh, and I was too, and probably so much so that I may have done that. And, but we, we had a nice, uh, a nice dynamic, I thought it was, uh, but always, always on top of that list was serving the script and doing, and, and doing the best job we knew how to do. And, you know, I mean, if everything else is rapping, then that's a pretty strong way to be, I think. Right. Good, good place well, to be. Well, Jack, I think, holds some kind of record for like the longest running character with the fewest number of wives. Right. He was married to Erica, of course, but prior to that, to Laurel. And he had a few That's other, uh, you know, relationships and lovers. I recall uh, quite quite a, a moment with Julia Bars Brooke, for example. Why do you think it was maybe hard for the audience to accept Jack in a long term relationship with someone not named Erica Kane? You know, I think uh, I, I always took that as a compliment and as a horrible criticism because <laughs> Because if I can't sell you that I am so attracted to this woman, whomever it might be, then I haven't done my job. However, if we did such a good job together that nobody wants to see either one of us with anybody else in this particular medium, that's a big plus. I mean, to be, and I'm not entirely comfortable with, with this word, but let's, it's just us. Um, to be a super couple, you know, with... I mean, arguably the most successful and famous person to come out of daytime. Uh, well, that doesn't suck. You know? <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. So I, I, it, it was, you know, the one time, the one time that they, it's funny how things work out. They, they, they hired uh, an actor to play Laurel, the original Laurel, uh, big, tall, beautiful, blonde. And they didn't, I guess they didn't, uh, didn't think it was working. And they brought in Felicity LaFortune, who I just love. I could look at that little Danish face all day. She <laughs> is a terrific actor, a voice like a, I mean, a singing voice like a goddess. And uh, it was, but it was too late. You know, it was too late. Um, and, and so the whole thing of Jack, because that was a long, it was really, Jackson's first storyline, you know, that was kind of about him. And, uh, but it got fumbled, you know, it got fumbled in the, in the kickoff and we never, we never got it back. And, but boy, I, I, you know, I've been so lucky that people I've gotten to play with, you know, Julia Barr and Susan Lucci and Felicity LaFortune. And I mean, it's just been, it's been really good actors, all of them. And, you know, pretty lucky oh. man. You are indeed. Um, you know, it took Jack and Erica many years to make it to the altar, but when they finally married in 2005, it was a gorgeous ceremony, a shot on location in Boca Raton, Florida, with Mara in attendance. Um, That's right. Now, besides that, of course, what stands out to you about <laughs> the trip? I I will tell you a, a story probably nobody knows. Um, uh, what stuck out to me, you know, they, they wanted me to have my hair sun-kissed, you know, just lightened a little bit here and there. And, uh, and I think, you know, it looked okay on camera. It looked a little, I don't know, something else off camera, but it, it looked, it looked fine. And I was okay doing it. God bless him, you know? So the girl comes to my house to do it before the wedding and she forgot to mix stop into it. So she puts this on my hair and we're chatting. And she's okay, go rinse it out. And I came back. I looked like Billy Idol. <laughs> it was white, white, and straight up, man. Holy Christ. And I'm leaving to shoot this in, I don't know, three days, two days, maybe. I've, I've got to go into, I've got to win later that afternoon and shoot in studio stuff. And I said, okay, so what do we do now? And she said, oh, don't, 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 don't worry. I'll, I'll run to my, and I'll come back and we'll dye it back to the color. And I said, well, but the color was several colors. How, you know, anyway. So she did her best. And then they used the temporary stuff to touch it up. And I was so, I was so mad. I was so, like, so relaxed and ready to have fun. And then, you know, uh, 
but hey, things happen. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? So that 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 that's probably my biggest memory from checking. Wow. No, I I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was beautiful. The stuff that they captured us splashing around in the surf and stuff. The the uh, ceremony itself. And now I look at my uh, the uh, the uh, some photographer took a picture of my kids. And I actually posted for father's day you know greenlee and 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 reggie and lily and uh and it was it was it was i i think people i think they had to do it i think i've i've always regretted the fact because i pitched a few times you know go watch a um uh, a thin man movie go watch those two go watch those two i mean you know instead of marrying us and here comes the divorce we were divorced in less than a year i think i mean it was really quick it was really quick and i thought you know well, why not try it's you know because we both handle comedy you know it's exciting it can be mysterious and yet be i mean you know, why not who else is doing that I, maybe somebody else was i don't know but i thought i thought they really missed an opportunity there Absolutely. You know, it's sort of like a cliche to say that marriage is the kiss of death on daytime, but it, yeah. it basically literally was. History for, bears it out. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And um, it's it's a dark period. Well, so I hate to bring it up, but they actually wrote you off the show when Jack and Erica split up, uh, uh, you know, sent uh, Jack off to Europe. You can hear the anger in my voice all these yeah. years later, still yes. undiminished on um, <laughs> but on the flip side, did it feel good when the show sort of had to eat crow and say, we made a mistake. Will you please come back, Mr. Walton? You know, I, I know what happened there. I was fairly vocal about this is this stuff is terrible. We're, you know, our viewership is already eroding. And this is what you're giving them to keep those that are there. It's it's terrible. You don't know what you're doing. And but but that's that's an opinion. But the problem was we didn't know how to play this stuff. I mean, they had me making goo-goo eyes through the glass at the prison while Erica's in there. And then I, two weeks after she's out, I'm with her maid that she met in prison. Why? Right, like, right her cellmate. I don't I, yeah. Who I don't think I said 10 words to. Yeah. You know, it just, it really didn't make any. And I, And Susan didn't know how to play the catching of us because it was like, I'm going to go out and come back in because I know I didn't just see that, you know, <laughs> it, it was just, it was just, and I'm sure they had the booms open. I'm sure we went out, out on feed and, you know, when my option came up that July, that that was it. But that was kind of fun though. I got to tell you, because um, I had just done that summer, the, our first show in my hometown, the odd couple, and they fired me. Uh, I think just before we did that, so I grabbed a gig in The Odd Couple at uh, a playhouse down where I had my beach house in, uh, in uh, um, oh, sure, Long Beach Island, New Jersey there. So I played, I played um, Felix in the one in my hometown, and then I got to play Oscar in the other one like three months later. That was, that was fun. That was almost worth getting canned for. And <laughs> they, then they called and said, you know, uh, we'd like you to come back. And I said, yeah, well, have somebody call me and tell me I was right. You know, somebody over the rank of the janitor and, you know, just say, uh, that was, you know, that was right. No hard feelings. Right? But that, that's exactly what happened. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I started out there in what? I guess January of, of 2010, is that right? In California? Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. I got the phone call, by the way. I was going to say, did you get the I call? Say, I, I kind of stopped that story. I'm not even going to say who that was. No, but it was it was at a level that was satisfactory for me. How's that? Okay, well done Perfect. you. I like that. Um, now, in 2003, Jack was revealed to be Greenlee's biological father, and around that same time frame, he adopted his second child, Reggie, who was played by Michael B. Jordan. So tell us about the relationship you had with him when he was on the show. Oh, well, I mean, here, here, here's a young man that, as far as I'm concerned, deserves everything that he's gotten. Everything. And he could be a total ass now. I have no idea. It's been a couple of years since I've talked to him. But he deserves it all. I mean... Uh, I lived in Jersey City, and he lived in Newark. 
And so his mom would take him to the donut shop outside the Holland Tunnel. I'd pick him up there and we'd go to work together on days that we were working together. Um, and then I'd take him home afterwards. And we were, we were in the blackout together where I said, drive the car, I'm gonna direct this traffic. <laughs> going into the Lincoln Tunnel. Well, we got in there pretty quick actually, but, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, yeah, he, 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 was, he was wonderful. And, and I, I remember him being so hurt and sad when they let him go. And I remember thinking, this is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Best thing. And then one long afterwards, Fruitvale Station, you know, which was his kicking right. the door open thing. And, and one of the first things he did was got his mom out there, you know, out in Los Angeles. And I think that's so smart. You know, 17, 18 year old kid go out there and start to hit, gee whiz, you know, who knows? But so super smart. I'm super proud of him. You know, I mean, he's my boy for Pete's sake. Of course, I'm proud of him. Of course. I just loved him, loved his mom. Lo you know, I, I have a lot of fond memories of that era. Um, all right. So all my children went off the air in 2011, as we all know, and we all lament. Uh, so I'm, I'm obviously giving quite the Cliff's Notes version here because we want to dig into your stint on GH. But after the show went off the air, you returned to your roots. You moved home for a while. You uh, rekindled the theater that you had been involved in. And uh, also, you, you went ahead and got married again. So we I want to hear did, a little bit about yeah. your love story with Mrs. Willie. It's, I will. Yeah, no, it was, you know, I, I hung around Los Angeles for a couple of years and nothing was happening for me. And, you know, 25 years on a daytime show means nothing. I mean, I go into auditions and there were, you know, actors we all know, done, you know, 10 films. I'm sitting there, well, this isn't going to happen today. So, you know, um, but I, I, um, I had just finished Wild Bill, my one-man show about Wild Bill Hickok. So I was immediately out, out on the road with that. And then in 2014, I went back, as you say, to my hometown, and I was there until 2018. And in, in, on my birthday in 2014, I was doing uh, Zany's Comedy Club in Nashville. And in walks this beautiful, raven-haired, black Irish-looking girl, sits down at a table right in front by herself at a four top. So I figure there have to be other people coming, you know. But no, she's there for the pre-show meet and greet. She's there for the show. She's giving me the goo-goo eyes. Uh, you know, I did my whole show to her. I was very unprofessional. Uh, <laughs> and it was my birthday. Did I mention that? It was my birthday. Um, uh, so happy birthday to me. And we've been together since. Uh, yeah, she's a singer-songwriter here in town. Uh, has opened for Dolly, has opened for Loretta, has opened for, and she's an amazingly talented woman. Amazingly talented. Tell, tell Stephanie what her surname was. Oh, yes, I married Sarah Kane. <laughs> yes, spelled differently though, K-A-I-N-E, spelled differently, but uh, yes. That's me. Not creepy at all, huh? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, well, let's get to General Hospital. So uh, you are airing as we speak. Uh, as we and, speak. But look where I am. I'm with you. Uh, and we couldn't be more appreciative. So how did you find out that GH was interested in having you come play in their sandbox a bit as Jackson? Michael Knight called me. And he said, you know, how are you? I'm well, good, Michael. I haven't talked to you in quite a while. I'm good. Hey, listen, Frank Valentini just stopped me in the hall, who, for folks that don't know, is the executive producer of General Hospital. And he said, so, Walt Willie, what, what kind of a guy is he, you know? And I said, what did you say, Michael? He said, oh, oh. I said, you were a great guy. So I sent him a check out, make sure he got paid. And, <laughs> and a, a couple days later, maybe the same day, maybe, I don't know, as I say, my time thing is shot. Mark Teshner called and explained what they had in mind. And I said, well, that sounds like fun. Little did I know that, you know, the thing about riding a bicycle, you never forget how, even though you haven't ridden one for long. I felt like I had not only not been on a bicycle in 12 years, but I was immediately riding in the Tour de France. I mean, this was, paddles to them but i said yeah no that sounds that sounds good that sounds fine let's do that so that's that's how it happened 
And um, I immediately like, so when will you be getting those scripts to me soon, right? I mean, you getting those scripts to me soon? Well, we haven't fixed the day and time yet. Okay, but the scripts are written, right? So you could send those if you wanted. I hadn't done anything like that in a long time, you know. Learning and remembering a 60-page monologue when you've written it yourself is not near as difficult as it sounds, you know. Uh, but, you know, I did three shows in two days. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. Crazy. That's nuts. It is absolutely nuts. Um, so, uh, Mr. Michael E. Knight was your gracious host while you were in California. He was indeed. Fucking with him like. He was Felix and I was Oscar. I'm so glad <laughs> I set that up earlier. <laughs> no, Michael is, I love this man. He's one of the kindest, most generous and uh, incredibly hospitable people you could have as a friend. I mean, I couldn't do anything. I, my first day that I had a nine o'clock wardrobe call, I didn't hit set till 4.30. I don't think I was home till 9.30 or so. And Michael had dinner waiting for me. I love that. <laughs> I know. That's so sweet. sweet. What a great guy. What a great guy. Yes. Um, now you said the set was very welcoming. You know, how would you generally describe your days, uh, you know, there in General Hospital? <laughs> well, in a haze, I mean, you know, I, I, I so wanted to do well and I had so many things that I wanted to do. And, you know, they moved pretty good there. And uh, last time I did this, you could say, so hang on, before we start, can I just get, can I just get 10 seconds to look at this? And I have one more question. Could you ask the booth? There's none of that. There's, there's none of that, you know. No, nope, question time was last hour. Let's go. And, uh, you know, and, and but it was, it was it's, it's something that I could easily get used to again. But having not done it in a while, it was, it was, a, it was a big difference. So the setup for Jackson's appearance with the Port Charles community is, I think, very delicious because you've got uh, Felicia and Lucy investigating why Martin is getting these payments from Pine Valley. Uh, and they, they come knocking on Jack's office door, which means that you got to intersect with the lovely and talented Christina Wagner and Lynn Herring. And we want to hear all about what that was like. Again, I just have to say they were so welcoming and sweet and available. And it was just, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, I guess I worked more with Lynn. I worked with both of them, but I guess I worked more with Lynn because we, you know, we, uh, just the way the scenes played out. Um, but yeah, I did. They're, they're very nice. Lynn Herring is a lot of fun. She's, she's, she's very slinky. She's very, very slinky. Very slinky. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. She well, said that you were sparkly, by the way. What's that? She said that you were sparkly. I was sparkly? <laughs> Well, so, well good sparkly. we have new nicknames for you both. Yes. <laughs> she gets a check, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, when the news broke of your general hospital visit, it got a huge response from fans. So oh, what did good. it mean to you yeah. to know that you and Jackson are still very much near and dear to the hearts of the daytime audience? Well, that's wonderful to hear. I mean, I, I've said it a million times. I'll say it again. The fans, uh, day, fans of daytime are the best fans of all. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, they have loved me and supported me and everything I've done for 30 years. And I, you know, I, especially these days to have people that, that are, are, uh, who honestly give you that kind of love and that kind of care and that kind of interest. It's, it's, a, it's a gift like crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, next week fans can enjoy the exciting conclusion uh, your time on General Hospital. I am holding out hope that it will be the first of many visits. Oh, uh, it, it really is just such a joy to have you uh, back in our world for a little bit. And oh, nice uh, to say that. thank you. It's it's good to be back. I, I I will have to run to keep up. I'm sure at this point, but it's good to be back. It's a lot of fun. Well, can you like put into words uh, how how your life changed from when you got that call? you know, low those many years ago, 1987, to play Jack and what your years in Pine Valley mean to you now when you look back on them? You know, there, gosh, that's a, that's a lot of ground to cover there. <laughs> I mean, for, to, for an actor to be able to go to the ballpark every day and get paid for it is a pretty good deal. I love to act. 
and or at least I did in those days. I love that. And and uh, to be able to do a play a day like that, to you know, part be you know, maybe you do 140 of the 260 shows that year. I mean, come on, where do you get that kind of you know to stretch the to stretch out every day? It also gave me incredible opportunities to do other things. You know, I started doing stand up in ninety ninety one, I guess. And I did, you know, I did a gig last February. I mean, it's, you know, I'm still doing it. And I never would have, you know, I started off as a headliner, which, which was ridiculous. But uh, the strength of the show allowed me to do that, you know. And I was terrible at first. Oh, I was terrible. Um, but I also think, you know, and I hosted so many things. I got to meet so many people and see parts of the world I would never have seen probably. And I I, I don't know. It was, it was just... Uh, um, interestingly enough, as, as wonderful as it was, and it was, I don't miss it. And that to me is a relief. After doing something like that for so long, I thought, oh my God, what am I, one of these people that just can't put the grease paint away? How miserable am I going to be? But I wasn't. And I was, I was so grateful for that because then it really kept though that time as this wonderful golden time in and of itself, not the good old days, you know, because um, I'm having good nowadays, you know. So, so that that kept it even more golden to me. But the people I met, the opportunities given, the uh, you know, it's pretty good money, you know. I mean, there's a million reasons to be so thankful for that. Yeah. Well, we are thankful to have you back. We are thankful you shared all your stories today, and we hope this is the first of many reasons to have to talk to you soon. Yes. Yes, yes, and we can keep it un under a sealed indictment. Would be uh, <laughs> okay with me if we could. That'd be good. All right, ladies, yeah. thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Walt Willie for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.